Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 168. John and Wendy talk to Gene Hobbs. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you, John? Wendy, I'm well. Excited that this episode is being sponsored by our friends at People Element. Certainly appreciate them coming on board. If you're listening to this episode in real time, we just put out a show with People Element earlier this mm-hmm. week. So check it out if you haven't. We had on Megan Yunkin and Tom Horn. We had a great conversation. There was a lot of Kenny G talk. It was awesome. So <laughs> definitely check that out if you haven't already. Yeah. Wendy, we're a couple weeks out. You've got something really cool going on that you mentioned, I think, in an episode a little while back. What, I, what's what's up? What do you got to share with people? I think I mentioned it a while ago. Um, I am hosting a masterclass with Recruity. So Recruity is uh, out of Europe. They are um, an online um, applicant, not applicant tracking, but, um, candidate experience. And, um, so they have started these masterclasses, um, and they're calling it the recruitee classroom. And, uh, they invited me to be a part of it. And I am going to be hosting a two hour session on Thursday, May 27th, starting at 9am central time, um, on candidate experience. And, I am so excited to use this new platform. They've got some great interactive stuff. We'll be doing, we'll not just be doing polls and letting you vote, but we'll have opportunities to do some word clouds and we'll have breakout rooms. And so we're really going to dive into that candidate experience, walk through the entire line, figure out where our black holes are and fill in those black holes so that there's no more holes in the candidate experience. And best thing, we're going to, you're going to come away with things you can do with out revamping your entire ATS, because I know most of us in the recruiting world, we don't have a lot of control over what that looks like or how it's configured. So we need to find some of these workarounds to make it a great process. So I'm stoked. The link to sign up is in the show notes. Best part about it, John, it's free. We all love free. This audience loves free. And so, yes, definitely check it out on the 27th, 10 Eastern, 9 Central. 9 Central. Yeah, we need to go to the world clock or there's like I, I did something. I think it was UTC. I didn't know what I had to like because, you know, yeah. Google Google is our friend, folks. It's oh amazing. You can type in 9 a.m. Eastern to whatever. What Anyway, I've used that a lot. I've, yeah. I, I'm trying to get something scheduled with someone in Melbourne. Oh, my goodness. That's hard because it's, you know, middle of the night. It's, when it's, it's tomorrow already. Yeah, it's tomorrow. Yeah, in it's Melbourne. tomorrow. So. <laughs> Be sure to check out that session with yes. Wendy and Recruitee. And check it out. Wendy, we talked a little bit before we got recording. And Gene and I had an opportunity to talk a few weeks ago. I feel like we've known Gene since early, early on in our journey together. Yeah. And it's hard to believe it's gotten, it's taken this long to get him here. Right. I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation because Gene has got some very unique experiences. And yeah, he's just got a different thing going on than I think most yes. of our listeners have. Yes. Let's make the introduction and get started. So excited to welcome Gene Hobbs to the show. He is the business manager for UNC Healthcare Department of Neurosurgery, where he supports day-to-day operations, including the HR functions. This is really his first traditional business role. He started his career in medicine as a hyperbaric technologist, which we'll talk about that a little bit later, at the Duke University Medical Center. From there, he moved to a training and development role as a simulation coordinator for medical education. And he was recruited to be the director of simulation at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine and clinical instructor in the Department of Pediatrics. Gene, so excited, so excited to welcome you to the show. Our first question, what is in your glass? 
it's water. I'm still at work and uh, we have a, a training <laughs> session going on right next door. So still waiting for the bourbon later. You mentioned you have quite a trip planned ahead, so it's probably a good idea to be hydrating now so you're not feeling that tomorrow when you're in the car and driving many, 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 many miles. <laughs> probably. We always ask how you get started. I got to understand, how in the world do you make the transition from hyperbaric technologist to human resources? Like so many, I guess, of the uh, previous folks on the podcast, I kind of fell into it. Um, it. It seems to be a common theme for many of us. I was working in the hyperbaric chamber, so think about hyperbaric as uh, increased pressure. We were treating things like wounds, um, the diving side of the world, probably thinking decompression sickness, arteriogas embolism, so different types of medical conditions. But when the, the simulators, the patient simulators, so these big at the time that was more or less just large rubber dummies that would breathe, they would pee, um, they would break, and then my team would volunteer me to go take care of that. I'm not really sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, when, when the simulators would break, I would have to go fix them. And uh, eventually that turned into an offer for a full-time gig. And that was really my first formal transition into, uh, into training and development. I didn't really recognize training and development as an HR function at the time. Honestly, didn't recognize that as an HR function until many years later, but that's, that's kind of how I got into it. I think we need to understand a little bit more um, that hyperbaric technologist. I think there's going to be some questions. So tell us a little bit about, about that. I actually used to recruit hyperbaric technologists we did in the um, respiratory therapy area and, and all of that. Just give us a, a short synopsis of, of that kind of role. <laughs> I actually came in um, interested in research. So as an undergrad, I, um, I, I tripped into a skin and scuba diving class. It was PE 226 in, uh, in my undergrad and loved it. And then I wanted to know more about diving and uh, found out there was a hyperbaric chamber at Duke. And so, wow, okay, that's only 20 miles down the road. I should probably go check that out. Went over, volunteered for a research study, fell in love with it, um, somehow convinced them that I wasn't a total freak and uh, they hired me. <laughs> and so I, I started doing mainly research um, with the occasional clinical run. So I'd jump inside the chamber for, uh, for taking care of patients and I really enjoyed that. I, I think looking back, it's probably my most favorite job of all, just because that's that was really an exciting time in my life. You know, I was 18. I was diving as much as I possibly could, and we were doing really cool research for everything from deep sea work in uh, the current um, experimental diving unit, uh, kind of U.S. Navy dive tables that's in the revision seven of the book right now, up to doing some research on getting out into space and the, uh, the algorithm that they use to get into a spacesuit and do a spacewalk is now based off work that we were part of the team that was researching that at Duke. So it was a really unique time. I, I got to do some really, really cool stuff, uh, meet some really, really amazing people and good friends that are still friends to this day. I actually just hired one of my best friends um, as a PhD in our department. I've known her for 27 years and got lucky on that recruitment. That's so cool. I, almost an accidental way you just got even got into hyperbaric technology. Yeah, didn't realize at the time that Duke was the uh, largest civilian facility in the world. Um, I just heard it was a chamber and didn't really think that much of it. And then realized that, oh, wait, like a third of the research that comes out comes out of this group of people, either somebody who was here as a fellow or somebody who came through later. Very interesting community. Very cool. I love it. It's switching gears a little bit. What is the biggest challenge from an HR perspective that you're facing right now? Well, it sounds like you're getting ready to do a, a talk on it, actually. <laughs> recruiting. 
Get signed up. <laughs> Recruiting is definitely by far the largest challenge that, that we have around here right now. We uh, we can't seem to put our, our hands on enough clinicians in general. Uh, we're down three nurses in one of my clinics right now, all the way to trying to hire. I think we've got four uh, MD faculty that we're trying to hire at the time. We got lucky. We just filled our chair role. So that's exciting. Kind of, kind of really happy that that's finally uh, come to a conclusion. But that's just the beginning of it. Recruiting by far in medicine everywhere, you know, we just cannot seem to find enough people. Do you guys help with costs for students and that sort of thing to help get them excited about coming to work for you? So there are some some decent kind of incentive packages for some of the students at several of the universities around. Everybody kind of fights for their own students, and it's to the point now where the market's really so good almost everywhere that they can pretty much pick where they want to go. There is a little bit of a challenge, you know, and that there's always that group that wants to stay here local, but then they also seem to want like one specific type of, uh, of medicine and that may or may not be an option. So that's been a challenge. That's across the board. Every hospital I've ever worked for trying to, to talk someone who wants one specialty into, hey, come to MedSurge for a little while. <laughs> And the, uh, the the rules around some of the recruitment, you know, internally are, are interesting. So for me to recruit somebody into an outpatient clinic, they have to work inpatient for two years uh, first. Sure. And until we start relaxing some of those opportunities, I don't think we're going to get some folks. If uh, from the nursing perspective, if they come in with an associate's in nursing, we're a magnet facility. So we expect them to get a bachelor's within a certain time mm-hmm. period. And some people just aren't interested in, in having to do the extra school trying to find that balance of what we want to do and what we want to do for our reputation versus what we have to do just to be able to function is, is definitely a, a fun balance. Gene, we talked early on that, you know, you made this transition initially from hyperbaric technologist to training. You even said, I, I didn't realize it was training and development at the time, but that's what it was. So you spent a lot of your career working in medical simulation. We started talking about one before we got got recording. Talk, if you would, about the changes you've seen over the years, and I'm trying to wrap my head around some of the things that you were doing, what you've seen in terms of changes and where do you see that training headed or has it changed that much? I guess I was pretty lucky that when I started, there was really only about 12 of us that were doing this in the world um, as a full-time job. There, there were not many hospitals that were recruiting a simulationist, as we sometimes call ourselves. They weren't recruiting simulation folks um, all the time. Now, every hospital, every educational institution has to have some type of basic simulation program, and it's only grown. 9-11 did a really big boost for um, healthcare simulation as a whole because the country realized that we needed to spend some time really digging into what are the resources and how do we respond to, to that type of mass casualty event as the world has gone kind of crazy in the last few years with all the mass shootings and everything else. We, we've recognized that the need is even greater. Right now, while we're recording this, this is May. This is Stop the Bleed Month. So one of the things that I've done a couple of so far is classes on teaching people how to use pressure and how to use tourniquets as part of that that project. It's a pretty good way of, of really giving back to the community as a whole. And I feel like that's something that, you know, not just during this month, but as an HR professional as in, in general, most of us have had to go through a CPR class at some point in time, kind of forced into that. Let's think about workplace safety in, the, in a bigger sense. The little Annie doll that you use for that CPR class is simulation. Simulation can be very simple, all the way up to really highly complex mannequins that are computer controlled, getting more into virtual reality in the last few years. 
COVID is the next really big event that's pushed simulation in, in kind of a broader sense and that now we are looking at ways to do more remote training and having to do things where I sat at home and ran most of the simulations that I assisted with this past year, train a standardized patient to be able to do telemedicine. As that expands, we have to be able to uh, to really teach people how to use telemedicine because that's not something that has been big. So realistically, I think simulation is is growing exponentially. Really, in the last year, it's been the kind of the biggest jump that I've seen since 9-11. The community as a whole has really come together with COVID and uh, recognizing that everybody's got the same problems, trying to train staff to do things that we've never had to do before, volume of, of people who we're not ever planning to go work in an ICU that we've now suddenly had to to get up to speed on some equipment and get into an ICU. All of those types of things have kind of happened really in the last 14 months or so. Yeah, it's interesting to see all of that movement. Um, I know we moved a lot of people around. Did you um, have like a formal reskilling program or was it kind of haphazard? Hey, come <laughs> Learn as you work. <laughs> a little of both. For some of the areas in the hospital, they did manage to get formal reskilling up fairly quickly, um, especially on the PPE and protective side of things. Some of the other areas, we were scavenging people from anywhere that we could. I actually got redeployed as well. And so we, we all ended up kind of in some different places than, uh, than where we normally work. And we all had to learn new things. And for the most part, that ended up being uh, some kind of you know, really quick on the job training. I think most areas, and not just a, not just healthcare, but a lot of people ended up doing that. You, you know, we we did what we could to keep save people's jobs for sure. It's always nice to know you're not the only one. <laughs> well, I have to say, I think that's definitely one of those areas where Twitter really helped me a lot early on, um, and kind of all the way through, even to even till now, is recognizing that everybody's kind of fighting those same battles even to this day. The change is occurring rapidly, so it went from not really knowing anything about the disease to responding to the training and getting it moving along to now we don't have enough staff to cover these problems. Now our hospitals aren't completely full because we thought we were going to have more patients than we, we really ended up with. So how do we start ramping that back up and the problems that came along with that? And now we're really getting into how do we do large scale vaccinations that everybody's been working through. That's been a challenge. Now that the vaccinations have, have really hit the people who had to have them, and now it's more voluntary. We're seeing you know, a little bit of a reduction in the total number of people who are coming to get them. So now balancing that with what resources we can afford to redeploy back to their homes in the, in the hospital, it's, it's a continuous challenge. And that's been a primary HR problem. Speaking of Twitter, it seems like you've been around our chat since the beginning. You know, you're one of those great ones that you find it, even if you can't attend, you find it and start replying and, and get involved with that. What was the draw to first get involved and, and what keeps you coming back? Besides your great love for John and me. <laughs> Honestly, it's the value. You provide value and you provide perspectives that are, I guess, for me coming up as somebody who's been outside of the traditional HR route, hearing some of these stories from people who do more traditional practices, it gives me ideas of things that really don't come off the top of my head naturally. Uh, I've made connections on there that are unbelievable. The conversation last night, there was a DM conversation that started out of uh, out of the, the main chat that was kind of cool to see that that was growing right in front of us and, and people answering each other's questions. And that's the value that I see there. And that's why I, I started. And that's why I've continued to come back um, every chance I can. I have a timer set. And if I can make it, I show up. It's in my calendar. I always appreciate the inverse of that. 
Gene, being that sometimes you bring in things that I'm not aware of at all, or you'll tag things. And particularly some of the employment law things I think that you share are really compelling. And again, not my space. I wouldn't necessarily pay attention to it because it's not something I'm following, but you know, I learn as much that way. And I, so I always appreciate that. that. And I think to your point, you know, Twitter's definitely been a great way to glean so much from everybody, a lot of different perspectives. And I, and I know we appreciate that. We've started crowdsourcing questions this year and Gary Cookson asked, he said he got this, this was a question asked of him in a leadership development class or something he had just lately. If someone considered world-class was to come in and take over your life tomorrow, what do you think the one thing they would change immediately and what's stopping you from doing it now? They would want me to niche down. I, I say that because I have so many different interests and I I do so many different things and I have my hands in so many different pots that if anybody came in with uh, more experience in any area than I have, the first thing they would do is they would really have me focus. As far as what's stopping me from doing it now, I don't know, ADD. I, I, I'm easily distracted. I, I always think about the movie Up and uh, Squirrel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> follow that shiny object. And I, I just, there's so many cool things to do. And I really tend to, to follow some of them until, uh, um, until I get distracted by something else. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode of the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast is brought to you by People Element. People Element helps you act with confidence to improve the work experience for your employees and improve productivity, retention, and engagement. Their flexible, all-in-one employee experience and engagement measurement solution gives you an enduring capability to understand your people and take the right actions to continuously improve the things that matter to the success of your business. People Element is built for your success. To learn more about People Element, visit peopleelement.com. Thanks again to People Element for sponsoring the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. Now, back to the show. And we are back. Gene, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of our show, the Half Hour Question Connection. We already know you didn't dream of going into HR or even um, hyperbaric technology when you were a child. So what career did you dream of having when you were a child? Commercial diver. I always wanted to take a diving class. I always thought it would be fun to uh, to get into the commercial diving world and sort of pushed me a little bit in the direction that I wanted by taking that class as an undergrad. That was a PE. That was fun. And next thing I knew, I was biting it off completely, but I had no desire whatsoever to go dive in sewage. (laughs) (laughs) There's your line right there. Gene, who's one person you've gained your network in the last year that you think more people should know? So this is a person that I connected with uh, well before the last year, but I really didn't have much contact with this person until this last year. It's Link Butler. And Link is uh, vice chancellor of HR here at the University of North Carolina, but he also is vice chancellor at another university as well um, in an interim role over at North Carolina Central. He has really had a, a massive challenge on his hands in this last year. And when things have come at us sideways, I've been able to, to reach out to him and get some really good answers. And he's not really all that active sometimes on the HR side um, in Twitter, but he's there. And honestly, I, I had to look because I was curious. And it turns out that, that, John, specifically, you were not connected with him. I'm really thinking that, one, that was unique. And, uh, and two, as much of a, uh, a music person as you are, you really need to know Link just because he's also the front man of a... Uh, Foo Fighters tribute band. 
Nice. Wow, that's cool. So I found that one and was like, yeah, I've got to make that connection. Or I look forward to that for sure. That's excellent. That's very, very cool. <laughs> What's the name of the band? That's a great question. I have to go back and look that up. That's all right. We'll, we'll find it later. I, I, I wonder if it was some play on one of their songs or something. I want to say it was awesome. Joe something. Um, okay. Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to look that up. Gene, how do you maintain balance? What means balance? Um, <laughs> I, I guess you want it to. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for me, it always kind of comes back to, uh, to water. Um, not just the water that I'm drinking right now, but also uh, scuba diving, kayaking, pretty much anything that's outdoors and around the water. That's that's where I find my uh, my happiness, and that's definitely uh, what I do when I can, and and what I do for fun. Gene, how do you enjoy giving back to the HR community? Well, Joe Hero is the name of the uh, of the band, <laughs> so okay. now now I feel like I've given back the. Uh... And we're done. <laughs> The obvious answer, I guess, for me being in training and development for so long, I, I really like to teach. And so I have an opportunity with just kind of the role that I'm in. We come across a lot of people and I have the ability to give a, a step up to some folks. We see students come through who are doing like a, a master's in health administration. Uh, this fall, I'll be teaching an undergraduate class in HR, but just that opportunity to kind of get in on the base level of teaching and, and trying to mentor people through what may be their formal transition into what I didn't come into formally. We've talked about it already and that I have some extremely unique experiences and just kind of the way that I entered and the the problems that I've had. And, and I really find it useful to sit down and just bounce ideas off of uh, off of people who are coming up and, and they bring all kinds of unique perspectives to me that they they've had exposure to that I never did. What's your favorite movie? <laughs> Real genius. If it's on TV, I can't stop. I, I just, I, I will drop everything and start watching it. It's, it's terrible. So yeah, 1985, one of Val Kilmer's early movies before Top Gun. And yeah, really like that movie. It's a good one. It's a good one. What do you remember being the first concert you attended? So I was afraid you were going to ask me that, and uh, I, I have to ask: Does uh, Dave Matthews Band at a frat house count as a concert? Sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that's cool. First one that I actually went to was uh, Lollapalooza um, in uh, in '96 at the Rockingham Driveway. But yeah, Dave Matthews Band at a frat house is definitely uh, something that I rank pretty highly up there. Is that was a unique experience and something that he'll probably never do again. Was this prior to that first album hitting MTV? It was. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I got to see Dave Matthews' band. They, he was in uh, town, must have been two years ago now, and our healthcare system, which we are all owned by, uh, co-owned by a bank, had him for a special concert just for some of our employees. That's so awesome. It was very cool. Um, it had been years and years since I'd seen him, and so that was fun. Uh, last show you binge watched. I'm ashamed to say that, uh, I just recently finished watching game of Thrones. Oh, that was, a... I haven't even started it. Oh, so okay. There you go. That makes me feel a little better. I was starting to think yeah. I was the only person on the face of the planet who had not seen it. Nope. Gene, I haven't seen it. It's not my cup of tea. <laughs> I had to laugh when you mentioned real genius. That's never been mentioned on this show. Surprisingly. Score. So kudos to you on that. Yes. I have a friend that teaches in China and she shows it to her science classes. <laughs> These are middle school age students in China. And she's never really talked about what the response is. Cause I'm sure so much of it 
it has to just be culturally yeah. not just U.S. as opposed to, but also thirty years ago. Right, right. Yeah, it's a it's a unique movie. It's one of those I'm surprised hasn't ever been mentioned here in three and a half years too. doing it. But it, it yeah. you're the first person to bring that up, so kudos to you. You've talked a bit about water stuff and diving and or kayaking and what have you. What's a hobby or something else you really like to do that may surprise people? Taking it a step further on the diving side of things, um, it might not surprise everybody. I don't know if you guys ever read any of my old Sherm blogs, but um, I, I like to cave dive and I like to dive in rivers. So I don't necessarily have to have the best visibility, but I, that's what I would do for fun any chance that I possibly can. Occasionally drive up, uh, John, in your direction just because the Meharan River up there has some really nice fossils in it right there along the Virginia-North Carolina border couple hours away and get a nice long dive in and then uh, come home with the fossils and try and figure out what they are. <laughs> I was going to ask, I don't think people dive in the James or do they? If I, there's I, water, somebody dives in it. I, I've... <laughs> <laughs> the fun fact about Richmond, which I learned after I moved here, the metropolitan area is the only major city with class five rapids when the water's right. Wow. And so people come here to raft and kayak and do things with oars they will come here to do that because it's the one city. So you literally are riding the James and there's city skyline on both sides of you. Maybe they are diving. I don't, I don't hear it as a diving destination so much as sticks and sticks. Somebody and probably coming. is, but the, the civil war history alone in that area and, uh, and even down into North Carolina where I am, there's a lot of history with pharmacy um, in the area where I am right on the Hall River. And the Hall River is a class two rapid and a fairly popular kayaking destination. The dives in there, you find all kinds of unique little glass bottles that, that existed way back. We have a, a large Indian trading trail that crossed the, the river right close to where I live. So there's a lot of arrowheads, some spearheads and, and those types of things in the rivers. But if you go down closer to the coast, you start to get into the uh, the fossils. And that's really kind of where I prefer to, to spend a little bit more of my time. Finally, Gene, as, as John mentioned, we are outsourcing some of our work here. So if you could ask the next guest of the podcast any question, what would it be? What is the most life-changing decision you've ever made on a whim? And can you imagine your life would be like if you hadn't done it? Ooh. And again, one I'm glad I don't have to answer. <laughs> I'm writing all that down. I do keep a notebook. For those of you who don't know, yeah. I keep a notebook with all the questions. So we're not making these up. <laughs> Gene can see it. And so, yes, I've written, written it down. We will add that to the list. Gene, I mentioned before we got started, I think I before we started talking to you, I told Wendy, I said, I know this is going to be an amazing conversation yeah. because you have done some very, very interesting things to get to, to what you're doing now and being part of our community. Cannot thank you enough for making time to do this. This is a super fun conversation and look forward to more down the road. I definitely want to hear more about these peeing dummies. I just, that, I don't know. <laughs> I, that's, Something there. I don't, but I, I don't know. Which Watch out. I'll start sending you videos, Sean. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. I know some of our listeners may not be connected with you. And now, now that they've had a chance to hear you here, I know they're going to want to. Best way for them to reach you out there. I am Gene underscore Hobbs on Twitter um, or just Gene Hobbs on, uh, on LinkedIn. We will have both those both in the show notes. And then Wendy, how about you? Best way for listeners to find you out there. Best way is on my blog, mydailyjourney.com, daily D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. And of course, the second and fourth Sunday of each month, you will find me on Twitter as part of our twice monthly Twitter chat. How about you, John? Once again, want to thank People Element for sponsoring this episode in the month. Again, if you haven't checked out their episode with us yet, please do. 
As for me, johntherman.com for all things John Thurman. And for the show, hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Follow where whatever platform you're on. Follow, share, spread the good word. We always appreciate that. International listeners, we just had an international month in April. You heard it. We know you're listening because I'm seeing more countries each month. Not new countries necessarily. We are in 215 countries now, which is, Wendy, I don't know about you. Never would have dreamed that. Not that all 215 download all the time, but we're getting more and more each month. We're seeing more international downloads. So we know you're listening. Some of you are reaching out to me on on LinkedIn, which is awesome. Please, let's talk and let's get you on to talk about what you're dealing with. Because just as Gene was a hyperbaric technologist, you're probably doing some cool stuff that we'd like to talk about too. Gene, again, thanks for being on the show. So for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect, give back, and network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.